All right. Good morning, body of Christ. Yes. I got a little overwhelmed with emotion, too, watching Debbie walk through the crowd here and see what involvement does in a church, right? Like, we're, we're not a bunch of bodies sitting here. We are one body, one body of Christ. And it was just so much confirmation for the message that I have today, including Steve's song. I, I love when the Holy Spirit and Steve get together and they decide to pick out a song that's really going to underscore the things that I'm going to talk about. So, I had dinner with a, a pastor, a friend of mine, last night, and he had some encouraging words he wanted me to share with you, especially if you're new here today. If you're new here today, I don't do this every Sunday, so if you don't like what you hear, come back next week and Pastor will get it right. <laughs> so, um, Pastor has been talking about creation and formation. And I wanted to kick off today and, and look at Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. And really think about here creation, formation, think about the nature of God. He is a creator, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form. So this is the, the crux of what we've been talking about. The creation was an instant when things were created. But then there were things that were without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. Important word there, let. We'll come back to that. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So evening and morning were the first day. Man, the first five verses, the first day, and mountains of things have just happened, literally. Creation was an instant when he spoke. Now, I, I like to teach kids science and engineering. I'm an engineer. I, you're going to hear a little bit about it today. Creation Informed really tickles my fancy. You know, I get to go down the rabbit hole just a bit and, and tell you guys a bit about engineering. So I teach kids. You can put up the first slide here. One of the things I like to say to them is, you are creative because you're made in the image of a creator. Yes. Now, pastor's teaching has given me a new revelation on this. Not just are they creative, because they're made in an image of a creator, but they are makers. Maker is like a, uh, a hip term these days for people that, that are hobbyists, that like to build things, construct things, you know, engineering kinds of things, but even without a degree. You know, you're a maker if you put two pieces of wood together and, and decide to build something out of it. You are a maker because you're made in the image of a maker. Someone who doesn't just stop at creation, but sees it through until it's formed. Yes, yes, amen. And I, I challenge you, think about this a bit. Now, th these are the two that I, you know, will, will say tie to my vocation, right? I can talk about creation, formation, creative, and a maker. Think about all the other nature of God, things that, that you see in God. And I challenge you, when you look in that mirror and you start to see the image that's there, start to call those things out to yourself, right? I am loving because I'm made in the image of love. I am caring. I am made in the image of care. Right? I'm faithful. 
I'm made in the image of faithfulness. Call those things out when you look into that mirror. So I told you before, there's a wide gap between done and done done. You remember that? That's, that's how one of my engineers talked about, you know, you can get things done, you know, like it's usable, but then done done, finished, polished, completed, all the way through, right? Well, today I want to talk just a bit about, there's a, a similar wide gap between created and formed. We underestimate our power to create. You know, we, uh, we have the power to speak things into existence. Right now, now there, there's some very creative types in here. If I were to say something to you like one time, I saw a red dog with a blue ball in a green field. There's a subset of you sitting here today who saw that dog in your mind just now. I just created it. Now, to get from creation to formation would be quite difficult for me. I'd need some paint. <laughs> There's a process that it would take. Maybe I don't even have the power to do some of it. So we have to be careful what we're speaking and what we're creating. You know, we serve a God who calls those things which did not exist as though they did. And then he steps in and makes it so. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of this tongue. So look into that mirror. Call out those things. Call forth the things that he is creating in you. Find that image. Now, engineering, development as it's called, it's like a multi-year, multi-million dollar game of telephone. You guys ever played telephone? Yeah. It's the party game where like, I would whisper something over here to Anthony. Anthony would whisper it to several people around the room. And, and like, we might start off with, you know, I'd like a cheeseburger for dinner. And by the time it gets whispered over to Louie, Louie would come up here and say, I don't know, the, the second horse in the third race or something. You know, like it's, uh, <laughs> everything gets bent out of shape as it progresses from one to another. And vision is the same way. And this is the problem of engineering. This is actually the crux of the problem of successful engineering is communication of a vision. So I put together a little example. I use this example when I'm teaching younger engineers, guys who work for me, how do we start to, to have the same image in our mind when we're creating something? So if you put up number three here, let, let's imagine for just a moment that pastor, you know, he's, he's uh, big into this grandkid thing. He gets this idea, he'd like to have a tire swing like this. He needs a swing in a tree, because that'd be fun for the grandkids, right? Yeah. So he has this picture in his mind. Now, this is just in pastor's head. He can't draw this. He's not, not that good of an artist, are you? I don't know, maybe. But, <laughs> but he decides he's not going to draw this out. He's, he said, you know, I want to talk to Dave about this at work. You know, so they come in here to the office together. And he starts to talk to Dave and tell him his vision. I'm going to have this swing. It's going to be attached to the tree. The grandkids are going to be playing with this thing. This is going to be wonderful, right? Dave says, you know, I, I've got it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Show us the next one. So this is what Dave had in his mind. 
He's thinking more than one kid on this thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So Dave says, you know what? I, I'm going to talk to, uh, to, to Dewey about this. Maybe we'll, we'll get together and see if we can put something up at your house. You know, so he calls up Dewey. And he says, Dewey, he says, I got this great idea. Pastor says he wants a swing and a tree. Let's see what's next. <laughs> this is what Dewey had in his mind when Dave explained it to him. You see where this is going, right? This is, this is how most of my engineering projects have went. This is year two in like a five-year project right here. So now Dewey, Dewey thought this through. You know, he went to bed on it, slept on it. He woke up the next morning. He's concerned about it. He, he calls up Rob. He says, Rob, you're really smart. He said, I want to explain to you what Dave says we're going to do at Pastor's house. Put up the next picture there. Let's see. This is what Rob sees in his mind. <laughs> Rob sees this thing and he says, whew, okay, number one, somebody's going to get hurt. We need some liability insurance. <laughs> and number two, I'm going to be ready to, to defend, you know, whenever this thing goes terribly wrong. But in the meantime, you guys should get an engineer involved so you can build this thing right, for goodness sakes. So he says, call up Jason and see what he says, right? So they call me up, Rob, Dewey, they're on the phone with me. They explain it to me. I listen, and I said, no problem, guys. I've got it. <laughs> it's a swing attached to a tree. It's very safe. <laughs> Nobody's getting hurt on that thing, I'll tell you right now. Yeah. So this is humorous, but this is what happens to us, right? If we're not having the conversation, if we're not involved with each other. Man, this is why I love Debbie going around the church here. How did she know everyone here? Not from Facebook. Not from some external thing that was conveying something about what they did or you know, who they saw this weekend. She knows who they are. She knows a little bit inside them. This is what being involved does. It creates, and this is the crux of having a successful engineering team and a successful body of Christ is having a common vision of who we are and what we are and what we're going to accomplish. So clarity of vision and, and you know, Steve, the, the song there, he, he talks about all I see is you in that song. Clarity of vision is the thing that brings unity of form and function. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, form follows function? You know, that's an architectural concept, an engineering concept. And, and to boil it down, you know, my interpretation of it, the way I apply it to what I do, is that when you design something, the form that it takes is really defined by the function, the thing that it's supposed to accomplish. So in order to have the right form, we all have to understand the right function. We all have to come into agreement of what the function is. And, and we also all have to know our unique part in that function, what our unique function is in the body. So, Creation, formation, um, pastor talked about uh, Jacob, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God made covenant with Jacob. Jacob have I created. Israel was formed. So I started thinking about this a bit, and I thought about who are all the folks that have had their name changed in the Bible? Abram to Abraham, right? Jacob to Israel. Uh, Faith mentioned uh, Sarai to Sarah. Um, Then I thought about Saul and Paul. Now there was a, a creation and formation story. And I started digging into this thing, and wow, I, I, my mind was blown. It was so much more deep and so much more in it than I had ever seen before. And I, I hope to convey some of that to you now. You know, Pastor, he, uh, he talked about he killed some sacred cows. I'm going to do some sacred cow tipping right now. If you would have asked me a few weeks ago, who changed Saul's name to Paul? I, would, you know, I went to Bible school when I was in elementary school and heard the teacher tell the story of the Damascus Road experience. Probably haven't read it very closely, not this closely since then. So I would have said, God changed his name right there on the Damascus Road from Saul to Paul. It was an instantaneous thing. It wasn't. It didn't happen in an instant. So let's look a little bit about that encounter between Saul and Jesus. So this is Acts 9, verse 1 through 5. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Me. Me. He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting all these Christians? Why are you persecuting these followers of me? His exact words were, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. All right, now, trivia. How many of you here know what goads are? Raise your hand. Wow, we got, we got a couple here. I had never looked that up. What a terrible Bible scholar I am. So I looked this up. Goads are sharp, pointy sticks. You ever been goaded into doing something? Yeah? So the goad was something that you'd put behind the oxen as part of the plow, and as the, the oxen are doing their work, if they get you know, ticked off at you, they try to kick you. Well, the goads are there so that the oxen kick against those goads and injure themselves, quite literally tearing their flesh. So Jesus is saying to him, and this is some evidence here, well, I'm getting ahead of myself a bit, but at the later part of Acts and, and later in Paul's ministry when he's talking to the Galatians, he tells of his story of how he went from Saul to Paul. And you see then that this moment here on the Damascus Road wasn't the first time Jesus had been dealing with Saul. 
It wasn't the first time that he was coming to know there was something different for his life than being this Pharisee that he was. And it wasn't an instantaneous change for him. Now, what was the thing that happened to him here? The bright light, Jesus spoke to him, and then he was blinded. Do you think it's possible that maybe sometimes we would need to close these eyes to see the image that God has for us in the Spirit? And I see that's what Jesus had to do here. He, he had been goading him. <laughs> he had tried to, to get him pointed in the right direction. But now he needed a, a get-your-attention moment. Anybody have that get-your-attention moment in your life? I have. All of a sudden, everything in the natural becomes far less pressing and less important than the things of the Spirit in that get-your-attention moment. So Saul had this very personal experience with Jesus. This is Acts chapter 9. I'm really getting into this figuring out the time span of things going on in the Bible, right? I like this in the story of, of Abram, and I like this in this story too. I would have thought that Saul became Paul a week later. You know, this is a, a life-changing event. It's not until Acts 13 that we see that Saul becomes Paul. And then who gives Paul that name? It's Luke. It's the author of Acts. Says in a, in a sentence very nonchalant, Saul also known as Paul. And then from that point forward, he's called Paul. And, and I wonder, is it really Luke that gave him the name or did at some point in his formation, did Paul take up that name? And I think so because there's, there's some interesting things about the name Saul and the name Paul that are important to his specific function in the body of Christ. Saul was his Hebrew name. He was a pedigreed Jew. You know, this, this name Saul conveyed more than just who he was. It was where he came from. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He followed the law. He was a Pharisee. Bound up in this name, this Hebrew name, was his entire identity. His face, if you will, was, he was the face of Judaism. He, he was the face that was confronting the Christians of the time. So then in Acts 13, nonchalantly he goes from Saul, also known as Paul, to launching into his ministry to all of the Gentiles, which was the calling that God had for him. The span of time, somewhere between 12 and 14 years, from what I could find out ferreting things out here in the Word and reading some other sources, 12 to 14 years, he was still called Saul. He was preaching the gospel. He was going around and, and doing the works that Jesus would have him to do. But his name hadn't been changed. He was still Saul. He was still the one that Jesus had sought. So this formation that, that Saul experienced becoming Paul, I think this was like a new light on the New Testament for me. I mean, this guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And all of a sudden, I have a new context for seeing all the things that he was saying. No wonder he was passionate about we must be formed 
in Christ. No wonder he was passionate about you are the body because Jesus had spent some time with him and helped him understand you're persecuting my body. I mean, to me, that was a very intimate feeling to, to read there and understand that when Jesus was having this conversation with Saul, he said, why do you persecute me? Jesus, as the head of this body, this body as we sit here today, was speaking out on our behalf. Why do you persecute me? And so now you see this become part of Saul's ministry. All the things that he is he's, uh, teaching to the Galatians, the Corinthians, the Colossians. He's mentioning to them, you are the body of Christ. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 27. He tells them, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, the riches of the glory of this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 27. You see, Paul's identity, the image that Paul knew of Saul, was that he was a member of the family of God by birth. He was a member of that family because of who he was and then by following the law, what he did. When he changed his name to Paul, he took on the name that a Gentile would have had. He was no longer going to be qualified by who he was by birth, he was no longer qualified by, I'm going to follow the law. He had come to know Jesus. And he had come to know, through this formation in him, that his faith in Jesus is what gave him access. It was his identity. It was Christ in him that became his identity. And then in... Galatians, he, he lays out the whole story. And I, I see this as, you know, he, he is, in Galatians, he, he is talking to people who, um, they don't see themselves as qualified by who they are, right? He, he is convincing them that they are qualified by who they know, by, by knowing Jesus. So in Galatians 1, verses 11 through 17, he says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in other words, he's making it clear to them this experience that he'd had with Jesus, this is where this message came from. That this became deeply ingrained in him. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, 
and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. In other words, formation didn't happen instantaneously. Like he knew he was called. He knew he had this thing that he had to do. He knew he was a new creation in Christ. But he still didn't confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. This is the years of Saul's life in which Christ is being formed in him. This is, you know, when we see somebody come new into the church, right, and they have their creation moment, Christ is, is created in them, they accept him as a savior. I'm guilty of expecting instantaneous formation. I'm guilty of wanting to see the, the, the end product, the formation, the day after the creation. But right here, you see that Saul didn't experience that. And so he had compassion for all these folks that he's preaching to, that he understood where they were and where they were coming from and the journey they were going to make. Formation takes time. You know, form follows function. He called out his function. In that moment with Jesus on the Damascus Road, he said, what do you want me to do? It's like the song Steve sang today. He knew then, all I need is you. All I want is you. And literally all he could see was Jesus. His sight taken away. And so he had known his specific calling, his place in the body to reach the Gentiles. So Saul the Hebrew, who had been qualified by his birth, was now Paul the Greek. Paul is a Greek name. Uniquely qualified and credentialed to explain this to others who were not born into the family of God. In chapter 3, verses 19 through 25, I don't, I don't know if I gave you this one or not, he talks about you know, what purpose does the law have? He, he's conveying to them that you know, the, the law helps us understand what our shortcomings are. But the law has been replaced. Can you imagine Saul saying this? Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. He says in verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In verse 28, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I've read that verse a lot of times. But I've never read it before with the context of knowing and understanding just how far Saul had come and just how Christ had been formed in him before he said it. 
and really starting to understand that Paul didn't want to be a member of the club just because of who he was. He wanted to be a member of this club because he chose and because Christ chose him. So later in, in Galatians 4.12, he says to him, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. And I had never understood that either. You know, how did he become like them? He became like them because he put off the nature that, that gave him access to God and instead became saved by faith in Christ Jesus. And then we end up, this is like the, the backstory. This is like going back and watching Star Wars 1 through 3 after you've seen 4, 5, and 6. Everything today was the 1, 2, and 3, and we saw where Saul became Paul. And we end up back at Galatians 4.19, which is a verse pastor has been saying, uh, or, or speaking to us, I labor until Christ is formed in you. Now I understand why that's so important to Paul. Why was he laboring so hard? Why was he so emphatic that people had to have Christ formed in them? Because he understood it first person. He understood in Romans 8, 29, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He had looked at the image of that son. So this reminded me of... Uh, of Jesus and the lesson that he taught with the coin. In Mark 12, 15 through 17, he says, shall we pay or shall we not pay? This is somebody asking Jesus and kind of provoking him, should we pay our taxes or not? And probably all of you have heard this before, read this before, but he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it, and he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So I ask you today, whose image is on you? Are we rendering to God what is His? When we uh, take a look at Genesis 1 through 5 again, I told you that word let was important. When God created the earth, when He said, you know, that uh, the earth is without form and void, darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And he said, let there be light. He didn't command light to be. Think about the difference here for just a minute. He didn't say, light be. He said, to everything else that was already there, he said, let there be light. God's not commanding any of you. He didn't command Saul to become Paul. He didn't command Saul to put off his heritage. He didn't command Saul to follow Christ. 
You see, there's, there's the three parts of us. There's the spirit, the soul, and the body. And this body would like to do stupid things from time to time, right? And my mind, my will, my emotions, those are in between. I, I like to think of it as the middleman. A lot of times choosing, oh, should I chase after this thing of the flesh that might be pleasing for a time, or should I follow after the things of the spirit that are going to be long-lasting and bring life? Well, in a logical moment like this, that's pretty easy, isn't it? But if I'm going to be formed in Christ, I have to let there be light. I have to let that spirit side take control. I've got to let that grow forth in me. You see, we were given dominion over all the things of the earth, including this earth suit that we wear. And our calling is to let that image of Christ Jesus be formed in us. So, if the worship team would come, we're, we're a little shorter than I thought today. I got carried away a little fast. But um, in Steve's song, when he says, all I see is you, all I need is you, that's the truth of our formation in Christ. And the answer to it all, the thing that I found most in Paul's life, and the thing that I think is the lesson for us, look at your neighbor and tell him, let Christ be formed in you. Amen.